the Protect Your Neck Podcast, UFC 232 Recap. Celebration, commiseration, and a whole lot in between. Let's wrap. Savages. This is the Protect Your Neck Podcast, and I am your host, Dan Tom. Analyst is work you can find at MMAJunkie.com five days a week on MMA Junkie Radio. But on this year's program, the Protect Your Neck Podcast, we break down high-level MMA. That's what we're going to do here today, tonight. Whenever you're listening to this after the fight, because this is a post-fight recap, as we don't usually do, but I'm trying to make up to you, uh, this week and before I get into that the, the music we came into just want to give a shout out make sure give my proper due daps uh, for fair sharing and otherwise more importantly because they deserve it to Portugal the man modern Jesus off of evil friends album or I should say uh, their uh, evil friends album let me just double check that to make sure I'm giving proper credit they follow me on it on Twitter now so I definitely want to make sure that uh, you know, I'm staying with the fair use, but more importantly, giving them uh, credit. I give them shout-outs even when they, they, they don't uh, assist with the background music. And since this show doesn't make any money, nor is not sponsored, uh, I'm not making money, any money off of them. Using small samples, always being sure to comment and credit on the music to cover my ass legally. But they're honestly a really good band. Seem like really cool dudes from the, the minimal interactions I've had with them on Twitter. And a band that I, Dan Tom definitely wants to... To see when they come back. And yeah, it was Evil Friends is the album, by the way. But yeah, UFC 232. I'm sorry I didn't get you guys a breakdown. I'm going to try something different. I'm going to try to save my usual 10 to 20 minutes bullshit for the end. But I do need to kind of cover certain things as we enter the episode. As well as explaining why there was no episode. Though in my defense, earlier this week, last week, I guess now... Was um, however you want to look at it. Was uh, I did tweet out that there was not going to be no episode because it was just bananas. So just I'll save you the nitty gritty, but behind the scenes at MMA Junkie Radio, like technology was not our friend, my friend, and particularly with the duties that uh, are on my are my, my my plate, did not make it very fun. The last week and a half, we've been cohabitating with another show and finding out. Uh, old Dan Tom's been finding out the hard way in regards to things being misplaced and moved around. And uh, thankfully, uh, surrounding cast of characters, very helpful and patient. As, while I was scrambling to <laughs> spin the plates of, you know, working cameras, audio, what's wrong with the systems, the systems itself, switching cameras, tweets, social media, uh, chats with editors, chats with Danny, our producer in New York, all while staying ready, contributing, commenting on the show, being ready to be thrown to, to provide analysis, being up to date on news. That is a normal day. But 
and I'm not complaining about that, by the way, just just trying to give you guys a some context here as to if you saw me on the, the reason why I didn't get to comment too much and I want to comment leading in the events into, even though they're a little bit of post and a little bit dated now, and nor do they matter to some of you. Um, I didn't get a chance to really express that because if you saw, I was like that dude on, on a... And the scene in the movie where you're trying to defuse the bomb and you're sweating to clip the right wire, like that's why if I wasn't talking and if you looked in the stream, I was just sweating and jumping on and off camera behind computers this last week and a half or so. That that is why. Um, and again, not not complaining. Again, the, the fucking dream job. But uh, if I'm just being honest and candid, man, that is the most stressful part, at least for Dan Tom. I'm not a technology savvy dude. Technology has never been my friend. So having a job. Or, or a big part of my job is just being dependent is the radio show and, and the radio show is dependent on this shit working. So, uh, yeah, I, most of my sweating and stuff at night is just in, in, in my, uh, stress and anxiety is, is just making sure what, 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 what's waiting for me now. Cause, uh, there's, there's a lot that you guys don't realize that we, we have to put out, out behind the scenes. So yeah, anyways, I'm not going to get too much into it, but that, 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 that is why there was no show. Uh, again, and, I promised this for 2018. I felt like I did a little bit better with the show consistency. Um, or midway through 2018, I should say, because I had to take some breaks because I had some health issues, which again, I'm not going to get into that diatribe here. May, may touch on some stuff later, what's to come in 2019, but I will say this right now. I, I'm going to, amongst my priority of getting more sleep, exercise, and making sure I have the time to do so, so it's time to give this this podcast and finally doing all the things from the stitcher to otherwise the analytics that I've been, I've been promising forever and I'll get to that awards, all the next show stuff. Um, after the recap, we're going to push into the recap here with, uh, some opinions heading into the week. It was an amazing card, right? It, was, it ended up being an amazing card first and foremost, because it was historical, um, amazing card for some fighters in particular and just for the action that happened. If we're removing faces, biases and all that, um, just for the sheer action, right? I mean, it was I, the, the the pace as far as I can remember as I'm looking at now. We only had, hell, three decisions, I think, on the whole card. I mean, so that was uh, pretty entertaining, right? Faceless value aside, or faceless value uh, just being looked at. Um, for sure. And I'm going to do my best to celebrate that and give the fighters their respect properly. Um as I like to do, as I try to do. It's a little hard when you, most of your work is all pre-fight work, which is just picking against fighters, and no matter how respectful you can be, they're going to be pissed off. And, you know, like many analysis work, you get praise for, uh, you get praise, you you get very little praise for what you get right, and, and you hear about everyone you do wrong. So that's kind of the job. And, yeah, it's definitely taking a bit of the luster for your boy, if I'm being honest. But neither here nor there. Um, that's why, uh, I, 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 I actually enjoy doing recap, having an opportunity to do recap stuff like this, because believe me, it's much easier to have the beat where you get to praise and praise fighters after the fact. The fighters certainly appreciate it a lot more and you piss a lot less people off. You look a lot less wrong. You look a lot more smarter. Who doesn't want to do that? Unfortunately, that's not so much Dan Thomas beat. Uh, so I'm going to try to enjoy these little opportunities like here where I get to, to celebrate that. But it's going to be hard, admittedly. As I said, it's an amazing card. I also have to be honest to you. You know, I don't, uh, I'm not a bandwagon jumper. I'm a contrarian. So when the big bandwagon winners, whether we're talking about franchise teams, and since MMA doesn't have franchise teams, 
we have goats and greatest of all times, and, and we, we we definitely have two that we need to celebrate for sure. But uh, at the same time, even if Dan Tom is a fan or not a fan or whatever, what have you, I give respect where respect's due. But I'm not. That doesn't mean I'm the. I have to jump on the. I feel the need to jump on the uh, bandwagon. Something about crowds, man. Whether it was a crowd at a buffet line or a crowd to get in line and fucking cheer on the hottest thing, whatever this month or this year's or this sports or however you want to divvy it up, hottest thing was, for whatever reason, since I was a kid, I always thought twice and was always turned off by that. And I said, you know what? Let me just gather some more information and watch from afar. I like what I like. And I, 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 I do like that, but that doesn't mean I got to fucking fight for elbow room to show that I'm the fucking biggest fan. I'm a bigger fan than the next guy and fucking shit on whatever fucking argument I've been hanging on to or whatever argument has been, uh, is attached to the thing that I like at hand. Like I don't, I don't feel like that guy. I do feel like that guy though. However, when someone's not getting enough credit or has a quiet performance, I feel like giving that person credit because I know that the way the world works, um, there's nothing wrong with being, a John Jones fan, a New York Yankees fan, a Patriots fan, a Lakers fan, a, a GSP fan, whatever you want to fill in the blank, right? Like, there's a Floyd Mayweather fan, a guy who doesn't lose. Like, that's totally cool. Like, even with guys like Floyd who do bullshit outside the boxing cage or we'll get to John Jones in his own way, too. Man, yeah, like, that. that's definite for argument. That's subjective for everybody. I'm not going to argue that, but... My thing is, what I hope to kind of accomplish here and explain here is the reason why I would argue that it's okay for me to give praise and give respect while still not, you know, fucking fawning over, you know, fawning over the goats uh, incessantly. It, it, what, I, what I love to argue is that I think both sides need to find some balance. Do they need to be like me? No. Do I need, do you need to be like me? No. Am I trying to project my beliefs onto you? I hope not. I really am not because my goal is more just to help provide a broader spectrum a spectrum of perspective as I like what I would like to think I'm doing as far as the technical stuff that I cover. But in particular, what we're going to talk about with John Jones, and we will get to the important thing, his win. Um, but the polarizing part of John Jones as a person and where that subjective, as it always will be a subjective line, mind you, stands where how much of it is it okay for us to like him as a fighter and where does where is that line outside of the cage start to interfere and how much of that outside of the cage stuff do we have to acknowledge but to what point at what point does it be too much before i get into my standpoint of john jones and his fans and kind of the issue, and, and i'm going to use john jones as the topic here because it, it you could say this about again any big franchise fan from Lakers to which again I'm not picking on I'm a fucking co-host or huge Lakers fans to Patriots New England Boston right you know big sports towns New York big franchise town right as far as the New York Yankees go um, to other fighters like Khabib or um, you know I don't want to say Nunez because she doesn't get the credit she deserves we'll get to her soon but. But yeah, the, 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 you know, before I get, you know, the, I'm, but I'm just going to use John Jones, I guess, as, as the example of that. What, what I'm trying to say is, uh, but before I get to that, I just want to say that, like, the other side of it, what I'm seeing, as much as the gloating, deservedly so, for John Jones being the GOAT, that, you know, again, it's really, you know, of course, I'm going to be a little asshole and have my digs. Like, even people I respect, by the way, love John Jones, and it's okay. I'm going to explain why I love John Jones as well. And uh, so I'm not trying to paint with a broad brush or sub talk or sub tweet anybody here 
before you guys get all riled up. But uh, I definitely will give 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 some shit to the bandwagon ass nature of things, um, and just kind of it, it's it's human nature. I accept it. Like I I'm I'm guilty of a lot of these things too, and I'm going to explain that too. By the way, so before anybody gets their feathers in a bunch, is he talking about me? Hey, what's wrong with being a drone fan? Fuck you, Dan. Relax. I'm going to be rounding out the points. And before I round out those points, I just want to say to help round out the points, what I think is not just just as bad as, as those bandwagon fans, but worse is the people up in the, whether they're bandwagon-ass tweets or deserved tweets, Jones being the goat. They're both those tweets. I've been, I've been filled with mentions of, oh, too bad you can't do it without, without being on steroids. Can't be Gus without steroids. Can't be DC without steroids. Those are worse, in my opinion. Those are not just just as bad. Those are worse. Oh my God, those are cringeworthy. Not too. Cr- I don't want to say cringeworthy because I'll get to why people feeling like Jones has an asterisk on his record is fair, and where I stand on it here in one second as we lead into the fight. But uh, but those are just really gross comments. I mean, not only does it come off like the sore loser type, um, you know, uh, but it, it's just. Here's my thing. I don't. I don't think. I, I, I don't know how I feel about John Jones or John Jones fans hanging their hat with this argument. But I am on John Jones and John Jones. John Jones's side, and his fans' side in the argument of whatever performance-enhancing drug. And I'm not going to argue the amount, but whatever performance-enhancing drug. Period. If he was using or not through his career, any point of his career, does not change the fact that he can throw spin kicks, set traps in the octagon, and is just the fighter that, as far as technique goes, I fell in love with from watching Stefan Bonner. I'm not going to sit here in front and say, I watched Phil Novelson's before that, or the Guzman fight. I don't know if the prelims were available. I just remember that I missed that fight with the Guzman, and I remember being excited just because I was so excited for UFC 92 or 94, was it? Because it was uh, BJ St. Pierre, so I just was paying attention to every detail about that card. And it was like, oh, Bones Jones versus Bonner. And fell in love with him there. And rewatched a lot of those fights against him against longer opposition to see uh, further look into the hypothesis of whether length would provide trouble the second time around. Or if that was, in fact, other factors of why he had such a hard fight against Gus the first time. And what I noticed that against more experienced striking threats more longer and experienced slash formidable striking threats like Brandon Vera or Stefan Bonner. He really was just pushing to the clinch, trying to get the fight down as much as possible. Um, and I don't blame him. It's the smart thing to do. And thankfully returned to that as I predicted he would in this fight. Although I did not predict officially the decision or the, the stoppage. I said it was possibility. We'll get into that in a second. But yeah, so I found that interesting. And another reason why I, 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 I kind of fell in love with Jones and the wits about him, and now people are kind of coming around to that now, but it's something that I've always kind of stressed from the Brandon Vera fight, which is, you go, I remember, I don't know if you can go back and look at it, because I, I certainly didn't come up in my, my comb through. I went back and watched everything I could on these guys, um, although my analysis lacked and showed for it for the rest of the card. We'll get to that. Um, but I remember, you know, live at the time in interviews and John Jones saying, just, uh, explaining how like he has pieces of information posted around his house. That's how obsessed he gets with the fighters. Um, so this was before we knew about his partying. This was before he struggled with Gus and was quote unquote taking stuff lightly. Like this was probably Bones Jones at his most 
focus maybe ever at his career, especially if the quote unquote, I learned lessons, John, um, wasn't in shape to step up for 230, despite the UFC clearly paving the way for him now, which becomes even more clear in retrospect, right? With everything that went on this week. Um, and I'll get to them in a second and tie where they fit into the John Jones story and criticism uh, here. But yeah, in that interview, talking about, he also took, and this is what I love. Oh, this is one of my favorite details about John Jones, the fighter, right? And him, the person, because this is, this is him as a person, too. One of the aspects I, I like about him as a person. He took the reach of Brandon Vera, who I believe might have had the longest reach for any opponent. He fought at that time, and he posted it around his house in, like, blue tape, right? So whatever his reach was, there would be two little tacks of blue tape representing his reach. And he would take these and put them around different corners, uh, mirror, wherever. And just so he constantly had that as a measuring stick, whether he could put his arms out when he was looking in the mirror, or he could come around the corner and be reminded of a reach marker pointing straight at him. Um, clearly he didn't want much to do with the striking and smartly so, but the fact that he was preparing so vigorously, like, and then ended up doing that kind of a game plan actually in my book gave me much more respect for him than if he went about it another way. So, um, for those reasons like that, I am not as heavy on the asterisks though. I do completely understand why people are going to put asterisks and unfortunately for John, the Boy Who Cried Wolf, which will be a big theme for this polarizing talk and a lot of the stuff coming out of this fight. Um, unfortunately for him, uh, the, people are going to hold that asterisk, and you can't blame them. Uh, again, for me, it doesn't change what he did as a fighter. The fight may say no contest against DC, but as much as I can be accused of being a hater of John Jones, um, I picked him to win all three of these, all two of DC's, all of those fights. I still consider both of those wins for John Jones, despite the... Let's be honest, there's, 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 there were sketchy tests attached to both fights. But despite the no contest, I still consider that a Jones win. And if they meet again, I'm heavyweight or uh, light heavyweight. I'm still going to pick Jones the third time, folks. So go ahead and call me a hater. But I, I give the guy respect as a fighter. I give him respect for, for parts of his personality, his intelligence. I've picked him to win in the past. We've picked him to win in the present. We'll pick him to win in the future. Because I acknowledge what should be acknowledged. And what I hate about a lot of the John Jones fans I've encountered and have had arguments with, and again, I'm not painting with a broad, a broad brush, so don't get, you know, fucking your, your feathers ruffled, uh, please, you know, uh, people listening who I know or don't know otherwise. Um, but what I, that's what I, I can't get is just the lack of acknowledgement. Like, God forbid somebody did score it or somebody did think it was a close fight. Like, there's so many John Jones fans that didn't even think it was a close fight. Like, what? Really? Like, I do get that, you know, a lot of people talked about the Henry Cejudo and Demetrius Johnson, which I think is a great example of challenger bias when you have such a dominant champion. That's a real thing, and that will always be there, just like commentary bias, right? And commentary bias and challenger bias feed into one another. They're both symbiotic factors, which make them one in, one in itself a strong factor. I'm not denying that. I'm not saying it's not a real thing. I'm not saying it didn't play a part in my or the general perception of the first Jones and Gustafson fight. It absolutely does, especially with where I rank it, which is okay. I believe it's okay to factor those things for something like a top five list. But something that is more subject is still subjective, but more important that needs to be above board subjectivity is judges scoring or, or how we perceive scoring. So I get that too. Um... 
But at the same time, I, I feel like that aside, I still feel like being critically, it was a close fight, and I don't feel there's anything wrong with saying that. Uh, Jones won. Uh, Jones won the fight. Uh, I, he proved why he should win and deserve to win. I have no issue with that. Um, I just don't see why so many people like Jones fans before this fight and even after are just like, see, he won. Like, they're just so upset about it. Like, man, your bandwagon is like already hitched to the greatest fighter and the most winningest fighter. It looks like he's not going to be touched for a long time, uh, with the exception, you know, of maybe one guy even being able to challenge him. And I'll, I'll, I'll get to that later. But, you know, he's the greatest fighter unquestionably. And no one's arguing that. I don't even see how his haters could argue that. Like, why is this so angry, you know? And I, it's the same thing with Khabib fans, like, which is just so maddening, you know, because, like, fucking nobody gave a shit about who Khabib was, like, back in 2013, 2014. And all of a sudden, 2015 came around, and I granted he had, like, some interviews on our Hawani show, which were very endearing. I'll admit him going, drunk cowboy, you know, for fights, that fight that never happened. And I think it started around there, but, like, nobody gave a shit about him beforehand, and then it became, like, cool to like him. And as a contrarian, you know, of course, I'm, I take homage with that. Like, hey, where the fuck were you guys before? To now to the point where it looks like I was a Khabib hater. Like, hell, even when I didn't pick against Khabib, which is most times, mind you, um, like at UFC 223, like, you know, trying to get to my seat, like being there on the ground, everybody, Khabib time, Khabib time, Khabib time. Right? Like, yeah, I picked him. Relax, can, can I get to my seat and enjoy the fights? God forbid. I'm, I'm on your side. I like Khabib. I picked him. God forbid can I enjoy fucking martial arts at hand enjoy represent and respect both sides winning and losing god for fucking bit can any of us can, can can you guys try that too i know it's preaching no choir most of the you know are just bleed fucking mouth breathers it's the worst of the worst it makes me embarrassed to like the sport when i go to mma events live because most of the fans suck um you know again katrian dan tom as i posted the other day this old school hardcore band ensign just said it perfectly in there their band t-shirt ensign the band the t-shirt was a guy smashing a dude with a guitar, uh, with a bass guitar, and the guy's like holding his hands up, like, no, don't smash me, and the other guy's looking angry, like, and that, 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 and then it says, love the music, hate the fans. Like, that is me to a T with MMA, like, I love MMA, hate the fans. And uh, it just, it, it fucking ruins it for me, even people that I like, like, I want to love this dude, but just the fact of just this fucking overwhelming, like, need to ape and be like, greatest of all time. Like, I get it. I get it. And again, I'm not pinning with a brush because there's a lot of people that I respect um, that, that that are tweeting that. I tweeted that for many for, for two fighters, uh, including Jones. And he des they deserve to be tweeted that. Again, I'm not taking, don't take me literally here I'm or, or personally because I'm not trying to do either. I'm not trying to paint with a broad brush. But what I am saying broadly is just the fanboyness of like that you just find and in you know whether it's like franchise big franchise teams or fighters at the peak of their runs is just just yeah the fanboyness just man runs high and it's like relax and like you're like oh but people not liking Jones right now you know or are pretty sad or this or that and da 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 and you know what by the comments Again, which I said, which I already stated, the ones on the other side were far worse than what I'm complaining about now, folks. But as somebody who picked Jones and fan of Jones as a fighter, and even on your side, whether it's John Jones or a John Jones fan, as far as the asterisk, as far as whether he used or not uh, affected him, I'm on I'm on John Jones' side on that, as far as 
Um, I, I still look at him. I still look at him at the, uh, you know, as, as the greatest fighter. I still look at those as wins. But at the same time, I understand asterisks. And I'm just trying to stress here, like, God, you, we need to acknowledge that. John Jones fans need to acknowledge that. And John Jones haters, because there are plenty of those out there, um, need to acknowledge that whether you think he used or not does not affect it. He, he, he's an amazing fighter, man. Um, what I don't like, though, is the fact that even though I stand on the John Jones fan argument and John Jones aside, I don't like that people hang their hat on that. Because, at the, again, at the end of the day, you do need to acknowledge that he did that. And another argument people hang their hat on, which I don't like, because not only is it, I don't feel that it, it's correct or holds a lot of water in the relevant argument itself, but it chains back to the part of me that does like dislike, admittedly dislike parts of John Jones. And for that, am un, I feel that I'm unfairly deemed a hater. Uh, for a guy that I've always provided fair analysis, picked, and even stuck up for on controversial matters like such as steroids. <sighs> but, uh, but yeah, um, God, what the hell was I going to say there? Um, but, but, but yeah, oh yes, steroids. Um, sorry, I'm, I'm jumping all around, folks, so I, I apologize for that. I'm just, I missed the breakdown episode, so a lot of these tidbits and opinions that I really wanted to share and couldn't because of just being too busy on the show, not providing you a breakdown episode, couldn't. I'm, I'm really trying to uh, seamlessly, which I'm failing at, miserably uh, parlay it into this uh, long, elongated intro slash my take on John Jones and this whole steroid debacle and him being polarizing both to me and you in general and just trying to provide a broader spectrum and how to look at it. And yeah, I don't feel that either side was being fair. Um, and yes, that, that's where I was picking back up on. I don't feel that, even though I am on the side that I don't think, even if he was using, I'm still looking at him as the greatest fighter. I'm still looking at the no contest as the wins. I'm still picking him in his next fights. Um, but I also understand why there's going to be an asterisk. So I don't like people hanging their hat on being like, well, steroids didn't teach him to spin kick, like an end-all be-all. That's just, that's very ignorant. And that's not, that's very being very dismissive of all the other factors at play. And you're not acknowledging those factors, which, again, in its own right, dismissive and unfair. Just as unfair people being the John Jones, you'd be unfair by not. You're just as unfair if you don't are a John Jones supporter and don't acknowledge the other things. Secondly, another what I was getting to, another argument people are hanging their head on is like, uh, and John Jones himself is, why would I do that? Why would I do steroids? You know, why would I? I'm, I'm the greatest again. Steroids isn't going to teach me to spin kick. I'm already the greatest fighter. Why would I need to do that? And if we're taking it literally, yeah, why the fuck would he need to do that? Great point. But that's not an end-all, be-all point. A lot of the greatest have gotten caught for things or have been suspected of things, okay? And I'm not about to run you guys through that tinfoil hat and getting the whole Lance Armstrong or any of that, start drawing stuff from other sports to circum, uh, you know, to, to, to build a case against John. Not my objective. Don't care. Not even going to need to go down that road here, guys. Um, but what I do have an issue with is the why would I do that? Because the whole reasons why anybody has issues, me, you, or the general public, inside or outside of the cage, all fit this model. Why would you, why would a guy who not just has the athletic, but the frame advantage of reach, the smarts and intelligence and wherewithal, which I pointed out in my breakdowns and just now here, um, and, I'm, and I know other people have, uh, I'm sure other people have too, believe me, he's not, John Jones is not short of a guy, you don't have to look far to find someone complimenting his game. 
You've all these check boxes in your favor enough to make your record uh, the best ever. But and his record would arguably, especially if you look at things like Matt Hamill, would be if he just stayed within the, the operating rules of the rules. And he doesn't need to. Uh, that's why we consider it a win because Matt Hamill, he didn't need to do illegal 12 to 6 elbows. He was going to win that anyways. We all agree on that, right? That's why we consider that disqualification a win, right? Um, that's why even, again, the same dispersions I'm casting upon you guys. I admitted it then, and let me remind you now so it doesn't sound like I'm getting too heated and or that he heatedness is misconstrued for firing away at John Jones or his fans right now. I am just as guilty of it because, again, for that same reason, why would he need to do performance-enhancing drugs? Because people like you... And like me, despite the positive tests, still consider that Daniel Cormier second fight a win for John Jones. And I still consider that, uh, over this performance even, his most impressive performance to date. That does not blemish it for me. But, sorry, I'm getting like so passionate here. But, okay, okay, that's what I was building to. Okay, he has all these check marks boxes in his favor. Why would he need to do steroids? Okay, well, if he has all these check boxes in his favor, why would he need to do eye pokes? I'm going to go and count it, because I swear, just from Herb Dean alone, he's gone, gone over 40 warnings. Just from Herb Dean alone, which is no wonder why I think he didn't like want John Jones or John McCarthy or would put up fits. I didn't want this guy. I want Herb on my fights. Like, yeah, I guess I could see why. The guy that just lets you get away with a lot. Uh, a lot of people get away with a lot, uh, which we now know, anyways. But uh, and I'm not trying to come at Herb there, but just just an example because everybody points out the, the eye poking thing or um, the kicking of the knee thing, which again I feel like it's perfectly legal. I feel like people should get over it. I'm not somebody putting out or nor signing a petition to get rid of it, but I feel like it's perfectly legal. I feel like it's perfectly fine, guys. But if you want my opinion, it's a bitch ass move. It's a bitch ass move uh, as far as if we look at skill to calories. Again, for all you guys that are defending, and myself included, defending Jones against steroid allegations, trying to separate what is skill and what is, is steroids or just any, any dope can do and gain, and gain uh, an advantage for, right? Any idiot can stick a steroid needle in his butt and gain an advantage for it, and that's what we have a problem with because even though it enables hard work and you do need hard work to get those benefits, there is a symbiotic thing to that when we're talking about combat or sportsmanship. It does not fit. I think we can all agree there um, to, to a certain extent, right? And, uh, and yeah, uh, 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 the, the, you know, the kick that you know, Michael Wickeljohn is known for giving out, uh, instructing for you know, people to do, there's a reason why that is the one move that is a standout move for Jackson Wink fighters, whether they've been there a month or whether they've been there a decade. There's a reason why that is the most easily picked up move because it takes very little intelligence, very little physical athletic skill, balance, or calories burnt to perform it. There's a reason why... Again, you may look at me like it's just a fucking nerd, and I'll, I'll get to that in my goals in 2019, coming back here and return to my fucking roots. But yeah, as somebody who has taught Taekwondo, Kempo Karate, have black belts in both, um, there's a reason why that is the first kick, a front kick, is the first kick we teach, because it allows you to teach the basic steps of a kick so someone knows how to kick in the first place. It's something that any dope that walks into the door, no matter what age, gender, or athletic mobility their level they're at, we can teach them how to chamber, bring your knee up, how to extend slash kick, extending your foot out, retracting, which is re-chambering, and resetting, putting your foot back down. The four basic steps. There's a reason why we're not teaching how to side kick, round kick, throw their, open their hips into a tie kick, 
question mark kick, even a Kung Fu Shin check, which I would argue has more requires more skill. And John Jones, to his credit, does do those too. Because he's, he's a fan of all those martial arts and respect there. I love when he does that one. Uh, that's not a Winkle John kick though. Um, it, it, require, it, it does not require calories and that is a fact. You can support that kick. Again, I'm not trying to get it disqualified. I'm okay with being it being there. I'm of the school of thought is that you need to counter it. And there are plenty of ways to counter it, especially with sh- stance shifting being su- such a thing. It's not just switching your stance to people. A lot of it is when people attack that lead leg. Even when someone does a legitimate technique, like an inside leg kick, something that would come my way, me being a southpaw uh, facing primarily orthodox fighters, a lot of people would attack that inside leg. The same counter I would use for an inside leg kick is the same counter you use for someone stomping your knee. You shift your stance, you switch your stance so that leg is no longer there to be attacked and you time it to when they're kicking you so now they're extended and now you are chambered for a power attack from the right side whether you want to kick or just counter cross down the center. I mean, there are very basic ways to counter that kick so I am not like some dude petitioning against it but even if you're a fan of that or John Jones or the Mike Wiggle or all those checkboxes, you cannot look me in the eyes that, that, that 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 is not a fact what I'm telling you. Does not require balance. Does not require athleticism, and in return, you get a lot. You can damage someone's knee, um, and as somebody, and I, and what I, and and if you want to take the stance of okay, well, isn't that make it a good kick? Then it's very low, and you get a very high high return on it. Yeah, it, it does, and I think that is the stance that Mike Winkle John coming out of that camp takes, and that is fine. But what I don't like is that. It's it, that we can't acknowledge that it's a not cheap and unsportsmanlike. It really is not. It it it, it doesn't take a lot to do. Um, and again, I'm not positioning him to be out there, but to act like it's some legi- it, it, legitimate technique. Let's not just call it for what it is. You know, say it, it doesn't take much. I could teach any dope to it, and, and the damage is 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 heavily. But instead, but Mike Wickle John himself will take this hyper defensive stance on the matter again giving no credit to the other side, which is at the end of the day, it's not an attack on, on Lakers fans or franchises or John Jones or could be, it's, it's an attack on the fact that the fans or the, sometimes the people themselves in certain cases on certain topics cannot give the proper acknowledgement that that should be given and just call it for what it is. Like I'm a fan of John Jones when he's an asshole because that, that's, he's doing what it is, man. And he fucking backs it up. Fuck yeah, man. Be that badass. I'm okay with that. Uh, and, and same with Michael Winklejohn. Fucking call for what it is. But instead of he brings up, which I take offense to, uh, then all of a sudden he decides to care all about head trauma and say, oh, well, with all the head trauma studies out and, and all that stuff, uh, we, we, we allow punches to the head. Should we just not do punches to the head? For one, I have head trauma and I'm still suffering from effects of that. And I feel like that fucking insulting um, because we, I chose to train and fight and compete in all my fucking life for martial arts for a reason. And I'm willing to be okay that I have to wear glasses, have degenerating vision and other issues that I'm not going to fucking get on my soapbox about that I'm still currently dealing with till this day and have irreparably changed me. Um, that, that being said, uh, I, that, you know, that being said, I've also someone who has had knee problems and these guys, whether they're successful or not in the fights, they're going to be taking head trauma in their camps and sparring. So that's a bullshit argument. Um, they're already going to be doing that damage and they signed up for that damage. But the same reason why people give shit to Husamal Juarez from a sportsman-like perspective, whether you think MMA is a sport, there's a different argument here, folks. It's considered a sport now, so that's why I'm using that word. Um, I'm with you too. I'm more of a, the other way about it for what it's worth. But just saying, from MMA to even things like jujitsu, when I drop for a knee bar, like, you know, uh, 
Marcelo Gar- Garcia guys, but oh my god, like freaking out, like you guys are way better grapplers than me, and I'm a I'm a controlled grappler. Why are we freaking out here? But because we're instilled, like oh, you can't be even touching leg locks to a brown belt. Like there's just this sportsmanship aspect. It's looked dirty because it's leg locks is the one thing where a a white belt can submit a brown belt, and I'm a fan of leg locks. So that 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 makes me perhaps that makes me a contrarian uh, a contrarian here because I, I or, or a hypocrite I should say here because people will say well. We're allowed to go for uh, arm bars and leg locks, which is something else I've heard you know, Winkle John say. Why can't I kick at the knee? Again, kicking at the knee requires uh, about you know, uh, the, wits of, uh, the wits of a person who's mentally slow to pull off <laughs> in the same athleticism, whereas you have to do so much work to get somebody down in MMA or even grappling and so much work to get to the position of control to submit a joint, whether it be their leg or their arm. If you get it and want to take it home at that point, even ruthlessly, I'm okay with that. Um, I, I have, you know, irreparable knee damage, and I've had MCL, PCL. I have no MCL, uh, partially torn ACL that I probably need surgery for. That clicks, uh, that, that wobble, or I should say instability mixed with the PCL. There, they kind of run run by each other. And yeah, I mean, I come from a leg locking school. You play, you pay. I fought in MMA. You play, you pay. You get concussions even when you train in it. I've learned. Okay? So that's a bullshit argument. What's also a bullshit argument about it is, again, just the whole thing about it's okay to like guys like John Jones, but for the argumentative types who, uh, which, which I find kind of a common thread, you know, if, if, they're, if you like John Jones or don't like John Jones, whether regardless, but you do find like an, an annoying like John Jones fan, it's probably someone who's a really argumentative person in general. And those type of people love hitching their bandwagons to other people's work, like a John Jones, because then they can go and shit on every argument. Because at the end of the day, but I'm backing up. But he's the greatest. Admit it. But he's the greatest. Go, the greatest. Oh, you're just a hater. He's the greatest. Go, 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 go. So that is the most annoying uh, fucking thing. And part of that kind of uh, subculture of argument, slapping apples for oranges, and not coming at. Fans in particular, not trying to come at Jones or Winkle John in particular, but it's just kind of the subject of that that kick. It's like, yeah, you know, oh, so if we just outlaw that kick well, we might as well outlaw punches to the head because those damage you more. It's like, yeah, yes, Winkle John, let's do that and not have a sport. I hate that. That, that It's such an immature, like, four-year-old way about going about arguments, saying, well, <laughs> if you have a problem with this point that I, I'm standing behind, then why don't, we just, why don't we just wipe all the dishes off the table of, of the thing we're talking about? Yes. Yeah, that is such a productive fucking way to go about the conversation. Anyways, I know I'm losing track of most of y'all here probably by now, but the point is the whole argument, and you you probably lost track of this, which I almost did, but the whole argument of why would Jones need to do steroids when he's the greatest? Why would he need to kick guys in the knees when he doesn't need to? You know, use that technique when he has all, when he is the guy that has literally one of the most hugest in-depth wells to draw from and has such fight intelligence where he's not just drawing from guys, he's walking guys into these techniques. He's setting people up for these things. It's beautiful to watch. He doesn't need to to poke people in the eyes. Why does a guy like that um, need to uh, not just wrap, you know, a Bentley around with strippers while he's married or not married in in between infidelities? I can't keep track of who's his fiance now. Or, you know, hitting, you know, uh, uh, hitting a pregnant woman coming back to the scene just for his drugs and money. Um, why does he need to do that? Why does he need to do that? And then still, you know, I'm all about Jesus and Jesus and this and that. Like, 
John Jones inside and outside of the cage is all about doing stuff he doesn't need to do. So for anybody to use that as an argument is just absurd. It's fucking absurd. Um, so again, I acknowledge him as a fighter. I've never have not. I've never let it bleed into my coverage as far as picking him and analyzing his game. Um, I even stand on the other side where I'm giving him credit despite these asterisks, but you have to acknowledge that the asterisks exist. None of us know if he's a terrible person, although what evidence has he given us for him to be a good person? I personally think he's a sociopath, but for anybody who thinks he's a terrible person, you, I, none of us don't know that, you know, um, the dude lost his mother, had to go in through a dark place similar to Max Holloway. We, we, we credit Max Holloway for, uh, his, his struggles and openness and, and guys like Robert Whitaker. Um, I don't really hear too many people, even people that are crediting John Jones for his battle through that. Like to me, that's more impressive. And that makes me sympathize with him more and it makes me tell, want to tell people that say, Hey, I might not be the biggest fan of him either as a person, but let off the gas with the whole terrible person with him, thing with him here. Because at the end of the day, again, for people that still think I'm a hater, uh, I'm very passionate about this, yes, but I still vehemently disagree after what I all just said, especially after what I just said. If you're really listening to the message of what I'm saying, which i sorry, I know it's hard. I'm not a hater of his. In fact, even though I feel like with the Jesus thing kind of tells me, he's like, oh, the, the, the post-fight press conference, oh, positives, praise be God. Oh, this was for God. I'm like, oh, great, you're really back on the God thing. Like, we didn't just see you doing all your things. And, and you know, granted, he apologized for the female reporter thing. Uh, she didn't have the greatest questions. Granted, I'm not like trying to come to her defense like a white knight, but I just thought it was a very fucking bad look for John Jones, who, again, whether it was his wife, ladies of the night strippers, women he runs into, or reporters, he he doesn't have the greatest uh, record for a lot of things. None of not including, uh, but not uh, disregarding uh, his relationships with with women. <laughs> So he should he should be a bit more careful in that, and it looks like he's somewhat aware of that by how he handled himself at the post press press conference. Which credit to him for apologizing. <sighs> Sorry, but rounding it back to why uh, the final point of why and 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 my my opinions as far as this whole thing is, I think it's bullshit. By the way, I think it it makes it look terrible, um, but I don't think we should be coming as hard on John Jones. This wasn't his call, and at the end of the day. The science, as bullshit as it might not be, there might be actually be a lot of truth to it. You know, I watched Novinsky Scrum. I watched Rogan. Went and watched, got some other information. And my opinion is there is I don't think they're they're quote unquote making up science. Could they be making up results or some things they present? Now you'd have to get really tinfoil hat, right? But yes, that is a possibility. Do I think that? No. Am I willing to go down that path? No. I'm sh believe me. There's enough tinfoil hat people out there there's enough tinfoil hat paths to go down in the sport i don't need it you don't need me to do it so and i don't feel like it's relevant here um but what i do feel that re that is relevant is that justfully so that we've realized that the conflict of interest with usada uh their protocols um the potential pissing match that could be going on between them and they can you know them and the nevada state athletic commission something worth watching out for as much as i want to give credit to the nevada state athletic commission for doing the quote-unquote right thing uh, for not immediately just saying, yeah, okay, let's switch up last stuff, minute, minute stuff, and agree to stuff that was kind of kept from us, that maybe could have been presented to us sooner. Um, as much as I want to give him credit for doing that, which is as opposed to being the same commission that just worked and looked the other way for Floyd Mayweather to put on shows, 
Um, there are still holding out. They've made so many questionable decisions in the past. They are still holding out with the Conor McGregor and Khabib Nurmagomedov situation. There could be cards at play, not to get tin, too tinfoil hat. So I don't want to give them too much credit. I want to see how that unfolds. But tying this into John Jones is that, and back to the theme I said, the boy who cried wolf is the reason why Jones is not going to get a lot of sympathy. The reason why he will remain polarizing um, is because of all the stuff he did previously. Again, you, re, you, you want to defend the guy, but if you read out all the things he's done, you just read it aloud with no bias or no tone, it does not sound good at all. He does not help himself. And it doesn't help himself for situations like these, for even someone like me will say, man, the boy who cried wolf theme because I feel like, you know, even though I don't agree with him being a victim, that's another reason why I don't believe that he's gotten over or has been changed. Not just because he has proven otherwise so many times to deservedly lose our trust, but because for the positives, he's praising Jesus, whether they're positives in or out of his control regarding the fight and the situation regarding this or surrounding this fight, or playing the victim a little too strong. Not a little too strong, because a lot too strong, and deservedly so. Who, who isn't going to fucking defend themselves, especially when millions of dollars are on the line, right? I don't blame them. But those things from a psychology standpoint, and I'm no psychologist, okay, folks? I did want to be at a certain point. It was, it was a major at a certain point. So I changed it. But, um, but you know, from a psychology standpoint, when, when somebody, when they just deflect slash go victim as their default gear, when the negative comes their way, and when the positive comes their way, in their control or not, deserve it or not, um, again, I'm not coming at people who are religious, that's totally fine, but go just default to God. What's missing in both those equations? Self-accountability. What do addicts or people that with behavioral changes, what is the key for that happening that? It's not even so much rehab programs, which to John's credit, he's, he's gone to. It's self-accountability. And I still don't get that from John Jones. I still don't get that. And even though I'm giving him credit and crediting him as being genuine and the apology during the post-flight press conference from start to finish, there is a big lack of self-accountability. The one thing I did like, though, is that I think in his own way of admission, he wasn't training hard for uh, that he should have been during this time off, is that he said he's going to stay sharp and stay in the gym and be ready for these young guns coming out. I love that. I love that he wants to stay committed to the sport, to the division, that is getting stronger despite its criticisms, valid or not, and that he wants to get back in the gym. That's the John Jones I want. Um, that's the John Jones I hope we get, and that's the John Jones that I think, if he can keep his cards together, um, can perhaps help get people on the other side of that asterisk. The asterisk will be there, but he can get people on that side, including me, who already is, by the way, on that side of the asterisk. So if I sound like a hater to John Jones, that's why. It's, it's more of a frustrating thing, you know? Um, I definitely hate on a lot of things that he's done and a lot of the ways that he's acted. I'm not denying that. I'm not taking that back. I'm standing by that. But you also have to take into account for who people are, uh, how they can change and give room to change because, fuck, man. I've been through many points, 2018 included, uh, recently included, that I'm not happy with myself, including right now. Um, so, so, yeah, man.
Y'all need to put your pitchforks down, no matter what side of the argument you are or you're on. Give credit to John Jones, but also acknowledge the things he's done and the ground that he's laid. Good and bad. Okay? As for the fight, he beat Gustafson much easier this time around. And uh, and uh, much more convincingly as he needed to do, which was awesome. Cementing his legacy, getting the... Ch- the championship back, although I hope it doesn't turn into some serials. People were joking. There's a funny tweet from Ben Folks, like, oh, how's he going to lose its championship this time? Like, it's it's a serial because the wor- his worst enemy is himself. Um, you know, you feel for Gus. Glad that Gus could show up to the, uh, I didn't get to go watch it, but it looks like he showed up um, and, and um, as a loser. And that's always oppressive to do. It's hard to do, man. If I can get in, get, get in smashed like that, uh. In public, it's a tough thing, man. It's a really tough thing. Um, kind of like what Uriah Hall was talking to, and we'll, we'll touch on him too, especially in regards to, you know, the respect for speaking out about, you know, mental health and stuff like that. Uh, that fighters from Hall to even Jones don't get enough credit to, credit for. Um, yeah, beat some third-round KO. All right, co-main event. Sorry, I spent a lot of time talking about John Jones and the stances there, but hopefully I was able to tie... My stance on all that, the real enemy here is is USADA and this relationship with the UFC, and I think that is that is the focus of UFC 232 as far as where the ire should be, um, and maybe less to John Jones. The book is still open on John Jones, believe me, but I just think there should be less ire thrown his way in that regard. Okay, Amanda Nunes defeats Chris Cyborg by first round KO, 51 seconds. Um, wow. Uh, I'm going to pause for a second here, actually. Sorry about that. Uh, mother was calling. She didn't call too much, so I want to make sure. And your parents get older and they call, you tend to get worried. I want to make sure that everything's all right. But, uh, yeah. Um, Amanda Nunez knocks out Chris Cyborg. Jesus Christ. That that blew me away, man. That blew me away. I, I uh, can't remember if I said it in the beginning or not. But, yeah, it was an amazing card. And, and, again, I'm trying to do my best to give credit where it's due for sure. But... I'm being honest too. It was tough, you know, seeing two of my all-time favorites submitted, and then two fighters that, uh, again, as media, you lose a lot, or you should lose a lot of your quote-unquote fanboy instincts, right? And when they're around, I admit them, man. I, I have biases still, and from the beginning, and would like to think that I've admitted them from the beginning, even putting in, in writing at certain points, right? So believe me, I'm not. Even though I'm not an official journal, I'm not officially in a journalist, nor never claim, nor does my role require me to be. I'm not beyond that uh, whole awareness of media needing to separate themselves from being fans, but also realizing that we're human beings at the end of the day. Um, but I will say, you know, most of the negative part of fanboy instincts of being like, ah, oh, I want to bet against this fight. I don't like this fighter. Ah, da, da, F this fight or whatever. I would like to say that I didn't have a lot of those ever to begin with. And what few of those I had went away quickly and are almost non-existent today. That being said, like I explained with Jones, um, there is part of me just like, okay, not, not, not a fan of what this person does. And as a contrarian, you know, wouldn't mind like liking to see, you know, I don't like to see the, you know, uh, what do they, what do they say in Australia? What's the, what's the phrase? Chopping of the po- chopping, chopping the poppies, you know, seeing someone cut down, a health, not, not unfairly, but healthily, you know, someone gets their chest bumping too high. Uh, you know, they like to kind of tear them down. That's probably why they're such good comedians in Australia, as far as, especially when it comes to busting balls and heckling, right? They know how to chop you down. And it's kind of a part of the culture. 
Um, whereas in America, we definitely don't mind bumping our chest. Our culture is a little opposite in that regard. Uh, and that John Jones is a different example, but another one of those was, 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 was Amanda Nunes. And I know it's like so blasphemous right now to speak again. What? How dare you say something bad about Amanda Nunes, which almost makes me want to just say bad things about her more so because I'm a contrarian and back to that point about bandwagon mentality. I hate it. And it's like, okay, you know, again, like with the John Jones thing, like half the people that are, another thing about the John Jones thing was like half the people that are diehard John Jones fans or like. Oh my God, uh, Amanda Nunes, or not just Amanda Nunes, but like they're on the same side as social justice issues, which I find hilarious. Like y- y- a lot of y'all are the same motherfuckers who like, wh- whether like a gay fighter or someone gets like d- domestic abuse, like any of these issues, you're the first to fucking throw your fucking torch sticks down to where you stand on something so obvious. Like, yeah, we all don't like domestic abuse. Yeah, we all like... Um, gay fighters, minorities, people who don't get fair representation, succeeding no matter what it is. I think we can all agree on that. All right. Um, and if somebody doesn't, then you can quote tweet them and shame them. Sure, I'm, I'm for that in that case. But like this very like posturizing, you know, which as we, I'm not going to need to cite the example here. But as we find out, people who posture the loudest tend to have the darkest demons in their closet for one. But uh, on the hypocrisy sta- on the hypocrisy standpoint, I find it so. Funny that, again, like I said, it's a subjective line where people are, as, as a person, how much of that interferes as them as a fighter and how you should feel. That's, that's, I'm not one to tell you where that line is because I don't believe, I believe that line is different for everybody, and it should be. Uh, although, if it does go too far a certain way, which is what I'm arguing, that we should kind of police ourselves a bit and kind of reel it in, you know what I'm saying? And that's why I kind of felt that the, 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 uh, felt that ironic, hypocritical, whatever word you want to use, that a lot of the biggest, most annoying uh, supporters of John Jones at that point, if you were in that category, you're obviously willing to overlook uh, steroid, steroid accusations, personal issues, character issues, etc. But you're also the same people to stick up for it here. Hmm. Hmm. It's funny how we pick and choose. You know, we pick and choose things in life. That's why. Dan Tom, again, nothing wrong if you are. It makes life more fun, but that's why Dan Tom is not a religious person. He is not a red team versus blue team person. I'm not meaning that in a political sense, although not, although also including politics, obviously. But my team versus your team, like, I, I don't know. I, I, I feel like more more educated people and minds kind of can elevate themselves from those arguments. And uh, I don't need to be chopping through those weeds. I have enough weeds to chop through in my own head. Thank you very much. Anyways, different case for Amanda Nunes, though. Uh, obviously, not just from my personal perspective, but her, she's not polarizing, but she doesn't get the credit she deserves. And I'll be the first to admit that. And it became very apparent back at UFC 207, which was the first, um, which was the first episode. It was a recap episode like this, and it was the first episode of the Protecting Act podcast, folks. Don't listen to that. Well, not don't, but you can. I, if it was something that I, <laughs> I didn't want me to listen to, I wouldn't have it up and available in archives. You can find it at mixedmartialanalyst.com, podcast tab, yeah, but it's just early, uh, me and my, you know, Brian and our drunkenly worst just bullshitting about fights, but yeah. Um, but even then, we're like, hey, fucking gay champion, this is awesome, let's see if the UFC gets behind it. They haven't, sadly, really, um, behind a, a press shirt that I actually wanted to buy. They did this, like, uh, it was like a black t-shirt, but I did the UFC in like a rainbow, kind of like a subtle rainbow color and supposed to be proceeds or whatever. Like, I really wish they'd keep doing some kind of lines like that or maybe give Amanda Nunes some type of her own shirt and give the proceeds to the fighter and the other half to charity. Like, that would be cool of them. 
Again, really easy things that go a long way and speak loudly. Anyways, that's not my job. Uh, they don't hire me for, for that, so. But um, not that I want that to be my job, but I'm just saying. What the fuck do I know, right? Um, yeah, uh, so I'm, I'm all for that. Like, I'm not against that. Like, but just because, you know, somebody is this or that, like, doesn't mean you have to, like, be the biggest fan. And I will say, not just because of the... You know, the drunken celebration that's easy to get intoxicated with from last night, which I did. Um, but but for some time, I, I have been rounding out on her. I was having this conversation with Brian. Like, yeah, we've been coming around on her. even. The, and But part of it is just because no, getting to know more about her, which, again, if the UFC, I think, put more into the promotion with her, we, we would get to know th- more about her. Like, not about the gay lifestyle or easy... Easy, but head, but that or easy, you know, home run that would be. But like, what I found interesting, like her hyperactivity, like you know, ADD. I hate that because everybody could be diagnosed as ADD. Um, my, you know, my mother had to fight that for me in the early '90s, uh, trying to avoid me being like all many other kids who had any type of semblance of a problem with that within that umbrella, just getting fucking dosed with Ritalin and stamped with an ADD title. Like, everybody has ADD. Every kid has ADD. That's, that's retarded. The, sorry to use that word, but the way they were testing for it, especially to the definition of itself. ADHD, the hyperactive disorder, like the severe ones, that that's some real shit. I've had friends with that growing up. And uh, they just seem like angry nuts. And, you know, especially when you're in your ruthless stage, you're poking fun, you're in grade school or whatever. And then those kids come at you, they're so easy to, to stir up, right? But then you realize, oh, they actually have a problem, oh shit. And then, you know, I'd become friends with those kids, befriend those kids later and, you know, uh, defend them in some instances. But, you know, court, apparently, you know, Amanda Nunes did the same thing and she was very hyper. And I didn't know this before, so I just kind of knew her from watching her early career. Back from Strike Force to Invicta and so on, and we noticed this thing where she was just this really aggressive, like physical force. There's not that many of those, so she'd always be interesting in that. And it's like, oh, this girl could scrap, right? You know, like she looked like she would if she got in a bad position on the ground or gassed out, like she'd be done for. But she was fun while she was going, and she started getting better uh, on her rise. You know, getting into the UFC, and but it was just this. You just see, like, she kind of had this very aggressiveness where it almost went, like, aggro, where, like, she didn't even, like, acknowledge her opponents after she, like, would brutally beat him. Like, okay, that... And that, that for me, like, I, like I've, I've talked about on this podcast, or not on the... Maybe not on this podcast, uh, but with Jordan Killian on a podcast, uh, who's been on this show many times, co-host, and I've said, you know, like, I don't... We're talking about Glover Teixeira, how respectful he is, and it's like, it's not fair to condemn a fighter for how they are, after a defeat, but there's a lot they can do to win me over and show who their real character is, in my opinion. And Amanda Nunez, without knowing that background of her, did not look like a very friendly character uh, after fights, you know. Like, you go back and watch your fight against, like I've said it on here before, Raquel Paolui and Invicta. Like, she chokes this girl unconscious, and then, like, the girl, and, like, she has her, Amanda Nunez is back to the mat, and Paolui is on top of her, but has her back taken, right? And Amanda Nunes is the near-naked choke locked in, chokes her out. She falls to her side between the cage and Amanda Nunes after she goes unconscious. And Amanda Nunes just looking up at the, you know, doing the typical putting your hands up, celebrating. And, like, don't get me wrong, like, Jim Miller did the same thing when he guillotined into Mendoza unconscious. You put your hands up, like, yeah, celebrating with an unconscious person kind of on top or beside you. Like, that is not something bad or we haven't seen. 
But she puts the hands up, extends them, and then retracts them with, like, reverse elbows to the mat repeatedly. Like, ah, ah, yes, yes, yes. Like, again, not trying to be like, oh, this person's, like, retarded, like, with their motions, which is very easy to accuse. <laughs> I'm sorry to use that word, but... Um, uh, it's retarded, like, uh, to, uh, you know, emotions, like, what the hell's going on here? Like, okay, we get it, you're celebrating. But then she's, like, elbowing Carl Louis, Paul Louis, like, unconscious head, and the ref's, like, trying to separate them since the choke, and she's not abiding with the ref since the choke. And then the ref moves from separating to just trying to, like, drag Paul Louis, unconscious body away from the elbow she's throwing. Like, she totally doesn't get it and starts running around. Like, oh, my God, all right. And then, like, uh, you just see the commentators. And I was all the commentators' reactions, you know, from Invicta to even Anik, uh, just trying to, like, corral and interpret and commentate her uh, post-fight because she just turns into this, like, just animal. just like, ah, just going crazy, right? Like, just yelling into the, 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 the cage. They're trying to, like, corral her for a post-fight. And just everything's just disjointed and excited. And, uh, yeah, it didn't make me exactly the big fan of hers. I was like, yeah, not, not really a fan. Um... Of this person, and then like you know, and then she just you know kind of carry that like attitude in, and, and like I think she got in some spat with like Zingano to the point where like Zingano was fucking angry with her. Like you could see it. Like uh, I always talk about the scream Zingano yells out after she TKO'd her, but if you go back and watch watch it when they're before they're announcing it, like Amanda Nunes is still getting dressed on the ground, uh, like you know getting blood wiped from her, and you just see Amanda Nunes. She's get, she, she's waiting for the ref. The ref's holding her hand. And she's waiting for the announcement. You just see her fucking still me mugging Amanda. Like, yeah, that's right. Who's the fucking... And, oh, it was, it was fucking... Uh, it was awesome. It was fucking thug, thuggish. And we'll get to Kat as well. Um, what's happened to her. But, yeah. Uh, it, it just... It just... Uh, you know, so, yeah. I mean, I wasn't exactly the biggest fan. And then... You know, it's some personal stuff where they're like, you know, you, you bet against them. And if you bet for someone that they do well, you get a soft spot for them, right? Like, we all been there for sure. But then it goes the other way, too. Like, if you bet against them in certain spots, you're like, oh, man. Like, you know, like with Valentina, a fight that not just me, with my bias ass. A lot of people thought she won the second fight. And Valentina being my favorite fighter. Yeah, safe to say I wasn't the biggest fan there. Um, obviously, Extreme Couture. Misha, Noon, uh, Misha Tate, a uh, fan of hers. I know Misha. I've grappled with her and worked with her. Obviously, I'm a fan of hers. She was the champ. Um, I was bummed out that I was, you know, I, I finally get to kind of go to a fight as a fan. UFC 200, such a big card to go to as a fan. In my backyard, great fights. Headlined by Jones Cormier, too, which I was so excited about. That gets pulled from us last minute, right? I'm just like, what the fuck? But the card goes on, and they promote... Then, you know, it was okay then. A lot of people were pointing to this card, right, in reference to their choices they made for UFC 232. Um, but, you know, then it was okay for Amanda Nunes to headline a card, probably because she was opposite of Misha Tate. Regardless, I may have had plays on Misha Tate as well that night, but that, that didn't even matter. I was just, you know, it was a salvaging piece, and I'm sitting there in the stands, and they were closing such a historic event, and I'm thinking to myself, going, oh, no. Amanda Nunes can very well win this fight. For sure. It's not that that was so much of a surprise, but I was like, oh no, this great night could be capped off. This great experience for Dan Tom could be capped off by watching one of my favorite fighters lose and one of my least favorite fighters win. And more importantly, that is a natural equation we all have to face and deal with. That's the comp, you know, it's the nature of the sport. But, you know, more importantly, we could be ending this, 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 this event with 
an Amanda Nunes post-fight speech. And even though I've come around on Amanda Nunes, and even if you're a fan of Amanda Nunes, oh my God, are her post-fight speeches the most painful? Like, I want to ask John Anik the next time we interview him, like, especially if I can get him off mic or off low-key, like, off the record. Like, dude, I'm sure you're a fan, but how hard is it to interview that fucking woman? Like, Jesus Christ. Like, I mean, and sure enough, it was, I champion, I champion, I champion. I'm just like, oh, my God. Oh, no. And she's just trying to corral her, running around. Like, go back and watch. Even when she's in, she's a champion, a sitting champion in her own home country of Brazil. Like, Look at the amount of red seats in the background when Anik is trying to interview her. Like, people didn't even stick around because I counted it. She brought in six people during her post-fight interview. Now, granted, four of them were bunched together. It went from bringing in uh, Raquel, which led to bringing in their significant others, Ansaroff and Torres. But then it looked like Tisha's mom because it looked like a Cuban lady and then maybe, like, another mother. Uh, like, was giving her congratulations, her own mother and her answer offs. Like, she was bringing them in the middle of, of her and Anik, all these guests, mind you. And not just her and Anik, but it's a show in Brazil, and she's Brazilian. So you had, uh, what's his name? Derek, the translator. So there's three people, and she brought in six to interrupt. You know, and she's, like, walking away from Mike, which she always does. Like, making the cameraman, the whole production, try to follow her. Let's correct, like, like just stay in one place, like... It's just like part of me was like, yeah, I wish, you know, I, I don't know what you were expecting. Like she hops over the cage, like trying to bring Dana White in there to say that I'm the greatest. And she deserves that. Like she deserves even, like, I don't know what she was expecting, like Dana White just to get out of his seat. And it becomes like some montage where the background starts being fluorescent colors behind them and music cues. And Dana White's like flailing his arms. Like, oh, yes, Amanda, you are the greatest. Yes. And it's a montage of them doing a world tour. And, you know, you be, 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 be as comical with it as you will. She deserves it but it, she's just she's just so out there like you can't fucking contain her like even if you did want to like promote her give her the proper due her fucking post fight is everywhere now in her credit she's trying to thank everybody literally everybody to her credit she means well obviously i'm not trying to be some hater here but goddamn, you can't tell me it's not some of the most hardest uh, borderline annoying post fight interviews to try to watch like Fuck, and at least now, like up to about four, maybe five fights ago, she finally started like acknowledging her opponents after beating them or losing, uh, which she hasn't lost in her last five fights. But I'm just saying, she's like, one of the, the biggest things I always kind of rub me the wrong way about her. She wouldn't even acknowledge her opponents, and she has been. So props to her there, but that's why I can't speak for everybody, but I did see people posting, how could you, because again, you know, you know, God forbid, like how could you not like uh like uh, like Amanda Nunes, you know, like uh, you know, like well, th th there were reasons before, um, and not strong ones, but there were reasons of like you know, she just may might not be connecting. Now that's not a excuse. I again, like I just said, I feel like the promotion needs to, should be, uh, should do so doing forward. Give her more promotion. Believe me, I'm of that camp. But yeah. Um, you know, it's going to be up to her to connect more. She's trying to do more charity. She's trying to be more nicer to her opponents and more ingratiated. I'm not saying she's not that way. In fact, I would argue she is that way now being able to understand more of her background as far as, like, being a hyperactive kid to who knows what degree. I mean, she wasn't really properly diagnosed, you know. Like like they said, like, thank God her 
she found martial arts and an outlet as a kid, like judo and boxing and stuff like that. And look what she's done with it. It's a great story, but the UFC needs to help tell that story, even for people like me, uh, who are now coming around on Amanda Nunes. And not that I never discredited her before. I picked her before. Again, uh, I've always given her fair analysis, even when I picked, picked her or didn't. And again, I never didn't, uh, made it where I'm all I'm picking against her every time. Like, you know, I picked her multiple times, even though I didn't pick her here. But, uh, but yeah, um, those were the fighters I allude to and have alluded to before, John Jones and Amanda Nunes, for different reasons, though I would defend as fair. Uh, you know, just, just not my cup of tea. And I feel like it should be okay to say that. Like, it shouldn't be blasphemy. Like, that doesn't mean I'm against gay fighters. It doesn't mean I'm not happy for Amanda Nunes. It doesn't mean she's not the GOAT. Uh, I tweeted that as it happened. I reminded people leading up to that that she had much more gain than this. And I know I'm not the only one, but I'm saying... I. You can't accuse me of these things, you know? Um, which is why I was so passionate about outlining on both sides on what a hater actually is or what I feel I'm seeing of uh, the haterate attitude out there. So I'm being honest with my feelings. I'm sticking to my feelings, but I'm also giving credit where credit's due, trying to provide that broad perspective. So sorry for this hour of ranting. Um, but I'm just, yeah, there's, there's, a, there's, there's, there's pre, post, and overlying thoughts that I really wanted to get to. And the rest will be fairly fast because we're going to get to just uh, recapping the event here. After that was uh, Michael Chiesa defeats Carlos Condit. This, again, alluding to why it was an amazing night, but if I'm being honest, personally, kind of a sad night for me. Uh, again, I picked Jones to win. It wasn't like it was sad because he won. I was picking him to win. It wasn't, you know, and I'm sad Condit lost, but again, I, I can put my biases, I can admit them, while not all the time, I can still honestly tell you, though, doing my best to work with the biases and still try to provide proper analysis, and I picked Kiesa by a surprising second-round stoppage, and that's what happened. Not trying to pat myself on the back, but God forbid I give myself a little bit of credit, because, you know... That's one of my things that I, that's the biggest thing for a compliment for me. Anybody can fucking pick fights right. Anybody can, right? Anybody can place a bet than it hits. But what I take pride in from day one wasn't to protect myself from criticism because believe me, I, I don't get protected from the criticism. The criticism only grows. But is to be able to uh, give proper analysis. I might be on the wrong side of the pick more often than not, and I have been, especially toward this year, this last half of the year, my picks have gone down the drain. But it really has, to be honest, and I've been saying it has in my defense since uh, doing radio, but that's another story, or radio and, and, and media, but that's another story um, in itself, sure. and we'll talk more about it later. But, but yeah, I tried to let it get in the way, and uh, this case I, I didn't. Um, and, uh, yeah, the big, the biggest compliment, like I was saying, is like somebody, I got, God, I didn't pull him up now, but he was saying, I listened to the UFC 231 podcast after the fact and, uh, man, your, your analysis was spot on. Like, that's the biggest compliment I can get, man. It's really like whether it's a podcast or written, like, you know, the Shevchenko home breakdown where you can read that one and it reads like I wrote it after the fight. You know, and I'm not saying that because people told me that. I'm saying that because it's there for you guys to be judge yourself. I'm not just patting myself on the back. It's true. Like, that is the biggest compliment uh, and the biggest thing I can stand by when it comes to my work and what I would like to achieve is to be able to say that. Like, not being some predicting guru, but just the fact that, oh, I, I, this guy can interpret and explain analysis pretty well. And, wow, it actually played out in the fight. That's my only goal, folks. Uh, that being said, um, they got to give credit where credit's due. And shouts to Kenny Hathaway, who I believe secured it already a couple fights ago, but 
he was going to be the pick contest winner for MMA Junkie Man, and that guy deserves it. Um, uh, even, you know, those guys, you know, poke fun at me for watching tape, but even Kenny admits to watching tape himself, and uh, he deserves it, man. Uh, he, I think starting from, like, the summertime, quietly started catching up to me, and then come October, UFC 229, I got passed and could never regain the lead. I think Ben Folks might now even beat me, so I might come in third. But like I said, like I said from the beginning, in my defense, I held the lead for almost three quarters of the fucking year. And during when I had the lead from the first event when I started out, 5-0 and perfect, baby. I said since then, since before then, it's going to be a lose-lose if I'm in this kind of a contest. Because people will expect me to win. So if I do win, it won't be a surprise. It'll be you beat a bunch of journos. Dan, you've made your name picking fights. Like, you're going to, I get it. Okay, cool. You're going to outpick journos? And then if I don't win, you got outpicked by journos. And it's kind of hard and unfair because a lot of those was like we started the year with just UFC picks, which has traditionally been the MMA Junkie staff picks model. Then they're like, okay, we're just going to do big Bellator fights. I'm like, fuck, really? And that also got dropped on me where they, they, they were like at the same time, all right, we want you to start uh, writing up Bellator fights. And I admitted on this podcast, I don't watch Bellator. I haven't unless it was big fights or Michael Chandler was fighting. I didn't watch Bellator because I was, I was part of that West Coast tape delay. And as a fan, I'm not going to fucking, you know, you know, it's as annoying as a fan. And I'm not going to patronize that. So I just wouldn't even watch it. And as a media member, I really, you know, I would barely watch highlights just so I could talk about it on radio because you had to. But so it's taken me a lot of catch up for Bellator. I've had to go back and watch fights that you think I would have already been paying attention to, but I haven't. Therefore, my Bellator picks, not as good. So I was just getting eaten up throughout this year with Bellator picks, which got even worse because somewhere mid-year, they uh, they upped it from just occasional Bellator cards to all Bellator cards. And then now, all of a sudden, toward the end of the year, uh, the last card is PFL, which is about to happen. Uh, it's going to be the last one that decides the place, the final placings. So I'm not making that as an excuse. If anything, that actually makes uh, Kenny, Kenny, Ken Hathaway look even better, the fact that he's winning this year. He's winning in the hardest year. No one's won twice. Uh, that's how unpredictable MMA picks are. Uh, that's why I'd find it funny that people like get go on these runs and like I'm gonna be a tout now or I'm this. It's like, dude, this is a game of boom and bust, man. You know, it's tough. It's tough to be the same guy to come in. All you can do is be at a low level consistency, and I feel that I am. Though I'll admit it has gone down, and I will get into that as to why, which I kind of explained why, and I've explained before. But more importantly, is I what I want to change come 2019. Either way, I do my best to try to still pick. Uh, the fights, even if it goes against my favorite guys. In this case, I did do that uh, with Kiesa versus Condis. That was sad. Corey Anderson versus Lear Latifi. This one, I admit, I didn't watch a whole lot of. Even the Volkanovski Mendez, uh, I was watching, but uh, it was like a fight companion because uh, Brian came over like right uh, during the main card, probably during Anderson's and Gano when like all that stuff was kind of going down. So the next three fights or so, it was like fight companion mode where like I'm watching with Brian, but like I sadly don't have a social, don't have many, very many friends and uh, social life lack thereof. That's really non-existent. So every once in a while, I'll get to see friends if they come over for fights and that's my time to see friends really. Um, so a lot of times I catch myself not even talking about the fights or like half watching them because I'm catching up or talking about other shit. About you know, the week or you know leading into the car. Oh yeah, did you hear about the you know getting our take? Because I haven't been able to catch up. So I'm you know from like texting me back and forth. You know my buddies will be like, oh I know you're sick of talking about this, but did you hear about this? Oh man, 
Maybe we'll go back and forth a little bit. So I was kind of in that mode. But, yeah, I look like how I kind of said, like, unless Latifi knocks him out, it's going to be Anderson all day. So I didn't blame people for playing Anderson. Um, that was on my avoid list, um, which I didn't get to end up giving you guys. But that was officially on the avoid list. So that uh, pick was wrong, but, yeah, analysis was right. And Anderson ended up coming through. Can't really provide much more. Uh, Volkanovski Mendez, I was, I was really wrong on this one, not just on the pick, but I thought, again, like, I was like, I've been, I feel dumb about not just picking right up, wrong about this one, but picking wrong against the guy that I've long hailed as a dark horse. I've been saying it for a while on this podcast, folks, that Alexander Volkanovski is the deal uh, since he beat Yusuke Kasuya, who is an underrated Japanese guy in his own right, though. Not a big-name guy, and that was a problem. It wasn't a big-name guy. It wasn't a fellow wrestler, much less a guy stylistically think it was going to be a problem. You know, He wasn't able to get Mendez down. I thought Mendez was going to be able to dictate the wrestling, and it was going to come down to a speed advantage. You know, Especially when you look at, like I wrote my breakdown, You know, the right hands that Darren Elkins, of all people, was able to land throughout the contest on Volkanovski, leaving him marked up in, in victory. I didn't like that against a guy like Mendez, who we didn't see much of him on his return, but... I was assuming that his wrestling was still intact, and though we couldn't say much about his cardio because he wasn't only back that much, his timing and athleticism appeared to be intact. And that's the first thing to go for these lighter weight guys, right? He was able to time Miles Jury with the right hand, whether he's off the counter or blitzing going forward, and that's what he was going to need to do here. So that was still intact. That was his path for me. I picked him by a first-round knockout, um, and he might have showed that path early. Um, but... To be honest, he looked a little tentative early. I wasn't listening to the commentary, which is probably for the better. But me and Brian were thinking that Chad Mendez actually looked a bit tentative um, once he landed his first big shots and Volkanovski was still there. That was my interpretation of it, at least. Again, I was not doing, as I admitted, the most hardcore of watching uh, for that fight. So, yeah. And then, of course, Volkanovski starts building his way back into the fight, even without being able to score takedowns uh, just through pressure. And... Uh, Though Mendez was trying to counter that pressure like he should have with takedowns, we saw that, that hitting a quick diminishing return similar to McGregor. And so I said, as I said to Brian at a certain point of the fight, about a couple minutes before it finished, I go, oh, we're in McGregor territory. He's burned himself out. These, these takedowns are now hurting Mendez because he's not really able to do anything or wanting or a mix of both. And uh, that's going to cost him energy-wise. He's in diminishing returns category. Gets iced against the cage for a beautiful finish. Uh, Volkanovski has arrived. So props to him. Uh, I'm not all of a sudden on the train now because he won. I was on the train before, which in my defense, as well as making me look even that much more stupid because I picked against him here. But yeah, it's what it is. I also played Mendez like two units because it got down to minus 125. I'm like, what the hell? Uh, so again, another reason why I'm glad the breakdown podcast didn't come out. So I didn't lead you the wrong way there. All right. Well, Harris, Andre Orlovsky. I ended up picking Harris, but my heart was bit on Orlovsky. I even sprinkled when I saw the line keep continually to go up. Um, but yeah, man, uh, I ended up taking Harris, uh, for the reason being, I mean, you know, athletic southpaw, younger guy, all that stuff. I did think though, if it went to a long fight, like it did, Arlovsky could, could win, which he showed that he could be competitive, um, similar to the, um, Taitui Vasa fight, but just those kick counters, man, and the way I saw those going, um, and the way Harris, you know, kick countered Daniel Spitz. Granted, it was Daniel Spitz. I just keep seeing that in my head. And Harris has not won a decision and not only won one fight that went out of the first round. So 
So I tweeted, Orlovsky's chances did get better after the first round, but he couldn't do enough with it. So Harris looked like he won. I didn't watch that closely. Megan Anderson, Kat Zingando, I did watch this one. I believe I was one of the first people to tweet the Vitor Belfort and Randy Couture reference, um, which I'm not trying to pump my chest on that. I'm saying because it it's apropos. A lot of people had issue with that. Like, oh, it was a scratch. Oh, fuck. That. Like, listen, I love Cat and I pick Cat, but I'm not butthurt about that outcome. Um, there definitely is an argument to be made, yeah, but we've seen titles change hands before over similar outcomes, and we've seen uh, fighters... Sometimes they'll get eye pokes because the ref didn't see anything to give them the benefit of the doubt. We have seen refs, when they are paying attention, like a John McCarthy, go, it's a punch, uh, which is a good sign because like, they were paying attention. And you see fighters, whether it was a clean eye poke or not, they're tired and they like to take their breaks, right? So I actually applaud when refs do that, and a lot of people do too. Um, so if you are one of those people, you can't be mad at this outcome because it was a legitimate technique thrown to a legitimate area. Now... It ended up hitting the eye, the toe to the eye, but we can't retract the toe that we retract a finger, right? So if that equals it to a foot strike to a hand strike, well, then if we're allowing a knuckle to the eye, why not a kick to the eye, whether it's a heel, a ball of the foot, or the toe, which, again, cannot retract, nor is required to retract the same way. If you were to curl your knuckles on a toe, you're going to break your toes on a kick. You have to peel them back. And when you peel them upward and, and extend... Um, it makes more of an eye poke motion, but really, even in a sport of kicking to the head, that shit's uncommon, nor is it the goal. Um, you know, nor is it possible really to make it. Like, there are such things as toe kicks uh, to the body and stuff, but there are wide parts of the body and multiple places to the body, whether we're going toe kick to the liver, tummy, or solar plexus, um, there are many places to hit a toe kick, right? Whereas... An eyeball, man, that's so minuscule, and that's that it's attached to it's a small target attached to an even smaller target of a torso, attached to an even mobile, more mobile target than the torso, which is the head. I mean, if somebody even wanted to target that, it's absurd. So I think that's something to take apart when you have that argument. And I say argument because I had some people tweet, and granted, I tweet premature before I saw the replay. I just saw a kick toward the eye. I didn't see how much of it was toe to eye, which was gruesome. But I tweeted, ooh, and I don't know why my typo tweets and my, like, tweets at bad times are the ones that seem to get picked up on social media, which is really annoying, neither here nor there. But it was something along the lines of, ooh, sucks, I hope Kat's okay, because again, I'm the first motherfucker and one of the only motherfuckers saying, hope that person's okay. All y'all want to come out with torches or cheer this fighter or get mad when we're not caring about this, but yet, y'all the first people to retweet GIFs and then not care if the person's okay or not. Again, nothing wrong with gifts. Some of y'all make some funny ones, which I appreciate, by the way. Again, I'm not without some of humor, but I'm just saying, fucking point the mirror when you pick up the damn pitchfork. Look in the mirror first. That's all I'm saying. Because people were like, someone came at me and was like, yes, you can. And all I, you know, I was like, oh, okay. All right. And that was like an hour after that tweet went out when all the dust kind of settled for the most part on that incident. So I'm like, okay. And I went, for what it's worth, that tweet was sent before the replay was out. and But thank you for retorting me on an incident that's over an hour old. You know? Uh, again, burning no calories that that person burnt because they felt that they had to come in on their horse and say something to me. Which is whatever. I don't care. I didn't take it personally. But you, you, if you're going to fucking dish it, you better be able to take it back and not take it personally then, motherfucker. Fair? 
Then somebody else came in and was like called me a nasty person. Was like, oh, you're a fucking nasty person. This person is trying to point out something, and you're getting brownie point, trying to get brownie points for saying. I'm like, what? Like, I burnt the same amount of calories to diss that person they did as me, and the th- thing they're trying to call me out on is still technically a correct tweet. It's still technically correct. It was the legitimate technique that Megan Anderson threw. That's correct. But, you know, apparently that's nasty. I don't know. It's fucking people on Twitter. It's just ridiculous. Goddamn. The, the things people love to fucking come in on tweet. All right. Peter Yon defeats Douglas Silva Andrade for your second round TKO corner stoppage. This was awesome. You know, uh, love seeing them look out for their fighters and cornermen. And, and um, this, uh, as I tweeted, which that tweet did get a lot of likes to you, all y'all's credit. But again, uh, Oh, the most stupid tweets are the ones that end up getting most likes while like real meaningful ones don't. So you, you all wonder, you all wonder why our, our fucking culture from tweets to clickbait is the way it is. It's a symbiotic circle. People, y'all are a part of it. Um, but yeah, you know, uh, thank y'all. Uh, appreciate y'all who lo- love the positive notes, the quiet, positive notes, like a corner stoppage. Um, there was no need. Everything he was throwing at, Peter Yan, he was styling on as predicted, which is why Douglas is over on DeAndrage made for such a great fight for him because it, he was going to uh, be able to give him all these different looks and uh, pressure and otherwise. And Peter Yan did what he was supposed to against a guy who looked like he was like a late 80s, early 90s bad guy who I just, he just needed finger cut, he needed fingerless leather gloves. Did you see the Silva DeAndrage with that mullet haircut? He just needed fingerless leather gloves and a denim jacket. Like that, like, I was just. <laughs> So, which the fingerless denim leather gloves already are like UFC gloves. So he already has that part. That's why I was like, regardless of this outcome, I just wanted to see. I felt bad because the guy ended up getting fucked up even worse and just couldn't make it out of his corner. But like, would have loved to have just seen him the dejected look with the denim jacket standing there uh, with the referee, uh, you know, waiting to, to, to lift his hand and, uh, and whatnot. By the way, that phone call was for my mom. And it was regarding... Uh, a steak dinner with some family members that are in town that I have to turn down for this podcast, folks. So amongst all the many things of social life and family otherwise, I miss on this quote-unquote day off, if there is such a thing, which I haven't experienced one really yet. Um, you know, yeah, I'm missing that for you guys right now, by the way. Know that. Enjoy this recap. That was the text that just came through. All right. Um, Ryan Hall's the second hall to make me cry, someone pointed out on Twitter. BJ Penn heel hook. It was beautiful. He showed y'all how to hit a Imanari to the backside and hit an inverted heel hook. But I don't know about the submission of the year shit. Come on, man. I hate recency bias. I hate it. You know, uh, there's a reason why when things happen so recently, I leave them out of the top five because recency bias is strong. And we want to take what was recent and put it on the list. And even if it's deservedly so, I feel like it's disrespectful to members of the past because the whole reason whether it's my podcast or a top five article it's to c- c- commemorate the past and get your mind going for entertainment value to go oh i remember that or educate you or i don't know that one i should go back and look at that that's what the fucking articles are there for people that is the value the most value you can get okay uh so like when i post my top five featherweight wars and i did it like I recorded it. I made the list well, like a year ago, and I recorded it like sadly, like a week before Yair Rodriguez Korean Zombie, which probably still wouldn't have made my list for what it's worth, people. 
This, you know, I hate that, like, one of the few only comments after I give you all that fucking gold is, What about the zombie thing? Like, God, that's fucking annoying. Like, recency bias is so goddamn annoying, which is the same reason why I hate, like, every time the whole, back to the whole bandwagon issue, This guy's the greatest ever! And even though it's true in these cases, it's not that, it's not John Jones, it's not any of that, it's not you, it's the whole attitude of us, something happening in us as human beings, feeling like we need to just fucking champion only the popular narrative and not the others. It's so fucking annoying to the point where it just storms the rankings and push everything else aside. Is, you know, again, maybe that's me being a fucking contrarian, word of the podcast, but goddamn do I hate that shit. Um, I think we need to calm down, let it digest. It's like, like it's the same thing, like one of the most annoying things when I'm walking out of the movie is I hate the after movie talk. I hate listening to it. I hate participating in it. So what do you think of the movie? Don't you like it? You got to hear all that after talk. And then, you know, and then if you're, you know, getting popcorn when on the bathroom and you're running into one of these crowds because you're there to see another movie, you got to fucking club your ears so you don't have to hear that, oh, did you hear Luke was Vader's father? Like, God, or Vader was Luke's father? Like, that kind of typical shit, right? Like, God damn, do I hate that kind of talk. Like, just let the movie digest. Don't say, don't just commit to something off the sleeve because now you're going to be married to it. Just let it, let it fucking digest. Let it resonate. Give it that respect. If it really is good as you claim it to be, want it to be, give it that respect. But no, you know, which is why every time someone has to be, you know, oh, this is the best fighter now. This is the best fighter now. And it just gets really annoying. Like, oh, there's no way that could be a top five because John Jones could beat all those guys. Like, that's true, but that's not what the top five is about. It's not top five fighters that could beat John Jones. No, this is top five light heavyweight uh, fights or whatever it is, which I haven't done. But I'm just saying, like, can we not give, does that mean we cannot give credit to other people? Like, what, what the fuck are we saying here? God damn. So I'm be really upset at those of you who put uh, this submission over BJ Penn. Because the, the, the credential is going to be, oh, but, but BJ Penn is a submission legend. I'm like, okay, well, if we're going to judge it on that, Brian Hall is more credited than BJ Penn, I mean, uh, in submission uh, grappling. BJ Penn is legendary for being the first American, but he's not... Uh, he stopped doing jiu-jitsu, guys, and competing after MMA. Ryan Hall didn't. He's the more accoladed guy. So that shouldn't be a surprise. Second of all, if you're sitting there and being like, oh, BJ Penn's so great, that's why I'm going to get... Fuck you. You're the same people, and rightfully so, because I was one. BJ Penn shouldn't be fighting. He's past his prime. Oh, now now fucking submitting him at this point in his career is, a, is mantle fucking worthy over all the fighters who don't need MMA, who MMA is their blood, uh, unlike Ryan Hall, and I'm a Ryan Hall fan, I'm not saying his intentions aren't pure or valid, they are, but I'm just saying, over all the other guys who've had to fucking put in, what the fuck, man? So, credit to Ryan Hall, I love the respect that he gave to, to, to Penn, I was a Ryan Hall fan before this, I still am a Ryan Hall fan after this, but I won't be a fan of you if, if this ends up in your submission of the fucking year category, Jesus Christ. Alright, Nathaniel Wood defeats Andre Uhl, I was in transition... Um, trying to get some food because uh, fucking Postmates sucks ass no matter what time of the week, even when you order on a non-busy day. And they just were stringing me along for two goddamn hours. So I was like, fuck this anyways. Um, and I, I was in transition. I picked Andre Uhl. I went back and forth. I thought Nathaniel Wood was the deserved favorite. He had the more impressive game overall. But uh, I didn't see him against long athletic southpaws. Andre Uhl has surprised me multiple times in the past. 
not just being Hennon Burrell, even a shot Hennon Burrell. So I slightly leaned toward him, but wasn't surprised, nor am I mad at Nathaniel Wood. Uh, part of the reason why I picked against him, he took a lot of damage early. He looked to be, when I was glancing over, he looked to be a lot more technically tighter and fighting smart, which I like to see. Um, so good on him. Excited to see more Nathaniel Wood. Uriah Hall defeats Bevon Lewis, third round TKO. I took Hall as an underdog. Uh, soft spot for Hall after talking to him outside of the fight. You know, it's easy to see the asshole persona, the weird persona for sure. I'm not saying he hasn't been that way or shown that face. But if you're lucky enough to see the other face of Uriah Hall, you will know that uh, you will know that he is, uh, you know, he's, he's a likable guy, man. He's a real human being, and he appreciates people and loves people and... Uh, Appreciates the finer things in life at the end of the day. And I think he showed that with his post-fight speech. Showing how much he cared about his sister. Mental health. Emasculating himself. Admitting issues of himself. And uh, having to go through hell again for another win. So hard not to be happy for him, man. Low-key was one of the, the real bright spots of the, for me of this card, Uriah Hall. So hopefully you guys are doing justice and making sure you're giving proper credit to people like that on the card. Rather than just hitching your bandwagon and just, just, just celebrating the fucking obvious. I love seeing shit like that because it's not going to get the credit that it deserves. Uriah Hall's act, him as a fighter, or the moment itself. That's just sad, but God damn it, my hats are off. All right, Curtis Melender defeats Sierra Bahadurzada by unanimous decision. Did not expect to see that one go to decision. Uh, I had Bahadurzada uh, for an underdog, and you can't be mad, man, betting that guy's an underdog. He proves he'll fight for your fucking money. Almost got stopped and is out on his feet for the first time in his career. He, but even though he loses, still has never been knocked out. That guy's a madman. And Curtis Melender, being more fan of him, man. You know, one of the things, if you could criticize anything about his striking or be critical about anything, maybe it was him being not so effective at boxing range. Not that he couldn't be. He had a nice jab that he's always worked off of, that he always gets a beat off of, but building off of it. And he did here. Like, he was actually having his best success when he was just putting his punches together. Not even just his jab, his cross, throwing his cross down the center, when to throw it, his boxing, his movement, throwing his hooks at the right time. Like, I loved it, man. I want to see more of that. If, if he can just get his takedown defense in order, like, this guy is going to be so fucking dangerous, man. Uh, so I was a fan of both guys. I hated picking against one of them. But uh, I'm a bigger fan of both guys for different reasons coming out of that one. All right. Lastly, Montel Jackson defeats Brian Kelleher via submission. Darce choke, round one. Uh, pretty one-way traffic. I wanted to pick Kelleher because I like Kelleher, but just, just felt like Jackson's athleticism was going to see the day. And I don't know how much longer he can make bantamweight because he looks like he's going to be monstrous at even featherweight. So that's going to be real interesting to see. Um... And, yeah, looking forward to see where he goes from there and hope uh, Kelleher can bounce back because he's a fun guy. Um, <laughs> I wrote Jesus Juice Drinking Juggernaut. That's, my, that's, my, that's, that's, that's how I wanted to refer to, uh, to John Jones there. <laughs> Jesus Juice Drinking Juggernaut. That's how he is. There you go. You heard it here first. But, yeah, my picks were, were fucking terrible. My plays were terrible. Um, so... Considered a blessing, and and to be honest, I was kind of in like a real negative headspace. I know I can be, or I should say, extra negative headspace. I know I can be a miserable cunt, but we love him dearly. That Danton could be an accurate description of me. Uh, put in the parlance of my friends from the UK, and it's true. Or hopefully, the the last part's true, but the first part of the being a miserable cunt is true. And uh, I was definitely coming off as one, aside from my voice being unbearable and my thoughts being even more disjointed as they may have been today, guys. 
But uh, hopefully the holidays was good for you. But it was just a tough time for me. Aside from the work week, aside from the work stretch of coming off that UFC stretch and just being admittedly burnt out, to be honest, guys. Um, it's just a tough time of year for me, man. Uh, it, it's been a tough, tough year that I'm ready to get past. Um. And that tough year started last year from Christmas time, you know, Christmas time. Another reason why I just didn't want to do the podcast it just wasn't coming off great. Like holidays from Thanksgiving to Christmas aren't a great time for Dan Tom personally from my childhood of growing parts of my childhood. I should say I wasn't like some kid on the street, but there were points where a young Dan Tom was house hopping, celebrating it with different family members, friends, different cultures, races. Because that was my only choice. It's a bit of a disjointed family at times. Yeah, a lot of adopted people in the family, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not going to give it to you. Get into the whole spiel, but holidays aren't exactly the brightest times for me. And especially when last year, you know, um, just the stress of the job, one of the craziest things kind of all caught up to me. And I was not able to be around the people that needed me and lost relationships, friendships, small to big permanent to different degrees because of it, whether it was friends, um, girlfriends, longtime girlfriends, uh, c coaches, to or, who were in my DMs days before they committed suicide, to listeners of the show that I'm a part of who committed suicide and lost their battles. Um and friends in general, like all this stuff kind of happens around the same time. And a lot of that happened, what I just said, uh, last year around Christmas time, not all of it, but a lot of that, what I just said, it happened last year around Christmas time. And it was very tough. And, uh, for a guy who never gets sick, I found myself getting sick. Um, both times I, I think because my just immune system was ran down for just being tired, overworking and not sleeping and taking care of a girlfriend at the time who was sick. But yeah, uh, all those things kind of happened. And the last time I was in the gym, uh, I got some type of injury, some weird lump that, you know, was told to just ignore. And uh, it was probably nothing. And uh, when I caught the sickness was a viral lung infection was what I got. I coughed so much that I exacerbated, got the hernia, you all know the story umbilical hernia that I'm still dealing with, having problems with, probably going to still need another surgery in 2019. Um, yeah, just health problems, you know, it, it, it was a tough time. It kind of brought all those, those, those things back to me, you know, uh, shouts to Ben folks wrote a nice contributing article to, uh, to my, about my coach. Um, but yeah, it was just, it just was really tough, you know, uh, uh, revisiting that and revisiting those times and what all those things that I kind of, I'm sorry if that sound really depressing folks and I'm mumbling here, I'm all kind of ran into just triggered for me, you know, from chasing autoimmune s symptoms to where having fevers and, um, just dizziness and all my fucking post concussion things and anxiety triggers just going off and even being diagnosed with a cancer scare at one point in the last year, plus surgeries and all these other things, like listeners of this podcast know it's, it's not been an easy year. Plus, you know, taking on new roles, stepping up my roles in junkies, doing new things I've never done. And if you ask me, especially myself, deprecating self, I don't deserve to do yet was tackling things for the first time. And it, there's, 
so much stress and anxiety that it really warped me, my health, my physical, my psychological, and, you know, got into some really dark times, especially around October, and struggled with my own battles um, that I have struggled with in, in my in, in past that are a part of me. Um, and, uh, and, and it's, it is tough, you know, I, I myself wasn't sure if I was going to make it through times and thankfully I have outlets like these and people like you who actually support and listen for whatever goddamn reason and appreciate my work, you know, and I'll be honest, I don't feel the love. If you look at the MMA junkie analytic reports or even attitudes, we'll just say behind the house and in, within the industry, my work doesn't exactly feel loved. And it doesn't exactly look like it's love. But then, and I mean this with all sincerity, it's just as powerful, whether it's random fans and listeners of this show to, when I go to shows, guys like Marlon and Earl and John McCarthy, who should not know who the fuck my name is. The guys who I've admired watching, like, why the fuck do they know my name? And they're, they're complimenting my work and reading my work. And it, it reminds me, like, hey, I, even though I'm not proud of this work, like I'm saying, I feel like my work has gone down because... Everything has kind of just affected one another, and I, I need to revamp come 2019, and I will. Even if that means stepping down in certain roles and getting a cut in pay, um, which something I'm teasing now, but I, I may have to do, and I'll, I'll just leave it at that. Because um, I know it's not professional to talk about those things, but it's things I'm seriously considering, because I need to get back to me being healthy, because I... Even the work that I feel is subpar because I'm hard on myself is worth, worth something. Whether you're some random just trying to gain analysis for your picks or you appreciate the sport and uh, I'm reminded of that. Reminded when guys like Uriah Hall to a John Jones to a Robert Whitaker to a Max Holloway can admit that. Man, they suffer from depression and problems too. It's not an emasculating thing. It's a human being thing. It happens. It, it certainly happens. And, uh, and yeah, I'm really just trying to gather myself. I really want to pick myself up. I'm not trying to use this concussion excuse for all the other health issues that I have and have gotten that are legitimate. I don't use them as crutches. I've been, because as much as I talk about them, I've been able to accomplish the most I, I have been in it as a human being, guys, since getting this concussion. So I want to be able to not fuck up my own story and self-sabotage like I normally do and be able to get to a place and platform, not for ego, but to hopefully not just help for the stuff that I specialize in, but hopefully inspire for the grander scale of not things I specialize in for life itself. That, hey, you have shit fucking wrong with you and, and still succeed. So I'm sorry I'm going on my soapbox here. But yeah, it's, it's, a, it's been a tough year for your boy, but I am grateful. I do apologize for not being just late and inconsistent with a lot of these episodes, but just for how I've been. And I hope that it doesn't come off as an excuse, but more as an explanation, these ramblings of mine as to why that is, as to why I am the way that I am, as to what my goals are and why those goals are so firmly shaped and strengthened in certain areas as opposed to others. So thank you guys. Um, hope you enjoyed uh, the content from this last week. Hopefully you enjoyed the top five kick KOs video. Uh, I, I was, that one kind of snuck up on me when they released that. It wasn't, wasn't, wasn't suspecting they would release it amongst this fight week. There was enough going on. I kind of got buried, unfortunately. Um, so if you guys want to go check that, help the clicks there show that you that, that content's actually appreciated. Because I, I really love these fight vault things, and I really want to keep doing them for MMA Junkie. But the clicks decide it, like I said, and, and um, it would just be nice to see it go the other way a bit for once. So 
So there's that. But thank you guys. Hopefully, like the top five bantamweight episodes. I had so much fun on that one. That was that was that was a great one. I love referencing that, and uh, love to do more top fives. They'll be coming your way next year. Hopefully, more. It will be more, more consistent. Uh, gonna do a second annual Neckies next week um, with with uh, Jordan and Matt. Maybe more. We'll see about that. Uh, but yeah, we're gonna give out the Neckies. It's gonna be you know basic ones like KO of the year. We're gonna have a since it's Protect Your Neck podcast. We're gonna do best choke of the year instead of best submission because you know. It helps narrow down the field, makes you be different, and then we can avoid giving Rydal <laughs> BDJ fan submission of the year because it's not a joke. No, but honestly, we'll be, there'll be some fun ones, uh, you know, um, breakout, a, a production award. But if you have any ideas, hit me up at Dan Tom and Mayor. Hit up the podcast and please give us a follow. I don't bombard your timeline. It helps so much at the PYM podcast on Twitter, on Instagram, or like our page on Facebook, all the same address at the PYM podcast. Shoot me your suggestions there and uh, we'll get it done. That's going down next Saturday, the award show. So probably Wednesday, uh, I'll post um, topics to vote on and weigh in on uh, at the PYM podcast. So that's where it's going to be. you got to follow it there. Let's get out of here as I'm running out of time here. Uh, and I've probably beaten your ears with my ramblings. We'll go out to the Thin Red Line, the Melanesian Choirs. I listen to random shit. This actually is on my workout list because I like the clap to it. It's, uh, it, it's really nice. Uh, it, it's really nice. And um, I don't know. It, hopefully you enjoy it. If, if random entrance songs I talk about, like if I was a visiting fighter in Brazil, I'd come out to Iron Maiden, Hollow Be Thy Name, but... I also wouldn't mind coming out something like this. I feel like you could win some people over with this. Get the crowd into it. It's got a nice clap. But uh, it's peaceful. And I think we should end this podcast on, on, a, on a high note, on a zen note. Appreciating. Looking through the polarizing things. Acknowledging things as human beings as we should. Appreciating and giving respect where we should. And trying to constantly find a balance rather than throw shit from a downtrodden position. Or kick shit downhill because we can. I don't think either of those positions are correct. I think we should try to find some balance. I know that's such a hippy-dippy answer. That's my opinion. Enjoy the holidays. Be safe. I will hope to talk to you in the new year. I hope you all continue to join us as I will do my best to make this podcast worthy and continue to enjoy and to join you. And uh, always, you know it, protect your neck.